It's that time again, everybody. The Moving Picture Show. And I'm Rudy in Auckland. Hey, and this is Chris in Chicago. So we are starting something new today. We finished our film noir discussion in the previous episode. And yeah, we've got something new and hopefully exciting lined up for you. Yeah, we um, we could have done another genre, but you know, since this podcast is so new, we thought we'd try something different, and we wanted to, um, I guess, explore our our two different countries in our film industries. Um, you know, New Zealand and the U.S. and uh, and yeah, have, have something like that, not just like a, another genre thing. And in the future, we you know we don't know what type of episodes we'll do. We're kind of making up as we go along. Cool and um, yeah, so this this is going to be interesting because obviously you spent time, you spent some time in New Zealand. You saw some New Zealand films while you were living here, and you know, I mean, I've you know, I've obviously I've watched American movies my whole life, but um, I've never lived in the states. So there should be some interesting comparisons and some interesting ideas coming out of this. I think. Yeah, definitely. Because when you read reviews, like let's say Roger Ebert or whoever and they're reviewing let's say a New Zealand movie they they go into it I guess enjoying it understanding it almost it, only to the point that they can understand it from um, what the movie presents with them what presents them like they haven't you know Roger Ebert hasn't been to New Zealand he hasn't what, I'm not trying to say I'm better than Roger Ebert but I think this will give us a hopefully unique insight into these two movies um with uh god hold <laughs> can you hear that phone in the background i can is there someone calling you yeah okay <laughs> hold on a second no please. Worries. so what i'm trying to say is not necessarily that like i have uh maybe better critical analysis than roger ebert but a lot of times i think when you read reviews or commentary on films and you're not in that country it's sort of uh the american's perspective of it so i think it should be interesting that like um we're both have lived in other countries, you know, like, um, you're from South Africa, but you lived in Germany and Japan. Now you live in New Zealand. You've never been to the U S but you grew up with American films and how you view American films. And, uh, I grew up in the States, but I've also, you know, I've lived in, uh, England, I've traveled extensively and then obviously lived in New Zealand with you. So, um, I think it'll, hopefully we can shed on our, are like our listeners a more like multi-international perspective on the films we review from during the course of this podcast and i think as we're trying to get to with this we're starting with new zealand and the u.s to sort of um yeah hopefully have have a more interesting uh discussion and insight that you know it would, instead of the more interesting discussion than i would be having if it was like you and i were both from new zealand or you were, you know, American, and we were both having the same backgrounds talking about movies of other cultures. If that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely, and it's and I think this is this is probably the first topic we're going to be discussing that links in with why we started this podcast in the first place. Um, because we, you know, there are a lot of a lot of movie podcasts out there. A lot of them do a lot of them review new movies uh, some of them just look at particular genres but we thought it would be interesting doing something where like you said our 
different cultural perspectives come into play. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited for, for what we're going to be doing over the next few episodes. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited, actually. Um, Film Noir was awesome, and it was a cool excuse to watch it. But at the same time, I felt a little bit like, um, I don't know, we... I don't know. I felt. I don't know. Just the prospect of like the research that goes into this, and the fact that I guess I'm reconnecting with New Zealand in a in a little way is has me excited more so than just reading and watching film noir. So, not to poo poo those those episodes because that was a lot of fun, and I hope people enjoyed it. But I'm really excited for something fresh and different, and I'm happy we're doing this instead of just doing more genres. That seems that like you said, a lot of podcasts will be like a horror film podcast or Star, you know, like talk about science fiction or yeah. Come on, you wanted to say Star Wars? <laughs> I did because I was thinking of uh, you know Star Wars action news, which I don't even understand how it exists. And you know, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. by the guys who do now playing, I was thinking like stuff like that. There's movie specific ones where they just talk about all the related culture or, or whatever, and so I'm really excited. Cool. So, um, did you want to maybe give everybody like a quick? We'll do, we'll do like a quick overview of the film industry in New Zealand and then when we get to sort of the modern day that will lead us into kind of a few different avenues and our eventual movies that we're going to be discussing. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll just go through the history and I guess chime in whenever you want. Sweet. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to go over the entire history of New Zealand or – the entire history and detail of the New Zealand like film industry, but basically, I want to give some few points. I also have a theory to why um, that we, we we can discuss yeah. maybe about like why New Zealand's film industry uh, started to, I guess, uh, happen and why it's flourishing right now. So. Um, right. So, you know, I looked online and the first public screening of a motion picture um in New Zealand happened on uh, October 13th, 1896 at the Opera House in Auckland, which it should be the Civic. This is the Civic, right? Could It could well be this what's now known as the Civic Theater, yeah. Yeah, that movie theater uh, is amazing. Well, I guess it's not more than a movie theater because they, they have they went Wagner's opera there. When yeah, and there, stage but. productions and so on. But yeah, it happened there, and it was actually interesting because it was part of um, uh, part of a show that also consists of uh, a vaudeville company. And uh, you get this a lot too, is that vaudeville was the predominant uh, entertainment of like the working class of like to mid to late 19th century. And so film eventually kind of destroyed vaudeville, but at the same time, at the beginning, it was sort of almost like Oh, we'll see comedy. We'll see um, small plays. We'll see maybe like freaks or weird things happening, and we'll also watch like a small like two-minute movie. Like that's kind of like how, how it was presented back then. So, um, so that was the first showing. Um, the first ever New Zealand-made film came out in 1910, called Hinamona, and it was directed by Gaston Millier. Which I didn't even know he existed, but it's actually the brother of George Millet, who the director of A Trip to the Moon. Oh right, you know, like uh, the director who's like made famous in like Hugo. Yes, I didn't even know he had a brother, and apparently, obviously, he's French, but he made movies mostly out of the U.S. But I thought it was interesting that 
especially back then without plane travel, that like uh, the first New Zealand movie was Gaston Millier going from France to U.S., from U.S. to New Zealand. And uh, he filmed it there and it never actually uh, was screened in New Zealand. So the first <laughs> New Zealand made film wasn't even uh, shown in New Zealand and it was made by Millier's brother who uh, died of shellfish poisoning. Oh, wow. um not in new zealand it was was later but i I didn't know he existed so i put that in because i thought that was crazy um yeah so uh so like considering films novelty in the early years like new zealand's a little bit behind the national curve the international curve but it's not that late like outside of the u.s and france in these early years like film was seen as like a real um like yeah, like it's like a novelty or a um, yeah, like it, you know you have like the the Nickelodeons in bars. You have small films being made. They're seen as more just kind of like a fad. And uh, in the nineteen tens is when you have the film industry in Germany starting starting up and in Japan. So like New Zealand's not that far behind the curb. Um, the movie called Down the Farm came out in nineteen thirty five and was New Zealand's first sound film. Uh, this this is pretty, you know, this, so, um, which I thought was interesting because uh, sound film really started showing up in uh, American films in like 1926, 1927. So New Zealand always just uh, a little bit behind. Um, but between this and the late 1970s, uh, the films made in New Zealand are few and far between. Um, yeah. Well, actually from the birth of cinema to then, like, there's not that many films made, and um, and most of the films that were shot in New Zealand were exotic location shootings for like other countries' film industries, like you know Gaston Millier's or um, 1950 and or like British films. Um, there's a 1954 film called The Seekers, and it's interesting because it's um, it's it, it's a uh, New Zealand. It's a film shot in New Zealand, but it takes place in New Zealand. So, uh, like before, that was just like just exact locations. But in this one, it actually has the story, the story taking place in New Zealand, but it's it's still British made. And um, you know what? Uh, yeah, there's like little to no New Zealand made films for either local or international audience. Um, but what was coming out of New Zealand for the most part were newsreels. So, you know, pre-World War II, the British Empire was basically the world power. I mean, like, close, like, maybe the U.S. was the industrial power, but in terms of, like, global reach, you have the U.K., you have France and Imperial Germany. But in terms of, like, I guess rule of exact locations, British Empire would be uh, the world power. And... Um, to kind of like to celebrate this or, you know, perhaps make the working classes feel like they're a part of something grand. British newsreels would contain clips from all over the empire, from exotic people to exotic landscapes. And New Zealand fit into this. And a lot of the films that happen between, you know, well, the beginning of film in 1950 are newsreels uh, showing, you know, like, oh, let's take a you know, let's take a look at the empire and it would show people in India it would show like guy kangaroos in Australia it would show bits in New Zealand and I've seen seen a few of these like um, I saw one of a New Zealand cattle drive which was really boring I saw one during World War II of 
Jeep manufacturer, like the American company Jeep and how things were up. I saw one about pie recipes. I saw several of Maori doing the haka. It was just sort of like, um, in a way, almost exploiting New Zealand and its resources to be like, ooh, people in you know Liverpool look at like these strange looking people with tattoos in their face dancing around, like a little bit of um, New Zealand's kind of like, in terms of like film, it was used as more of like um, exotic location or, or novelty. Um, and uh, in 1947, New Zealand got external uh, autonomy from Britain. Um, well, New Zealand could like self-govern on a local level before that. This allowed New Zealand to have its own representation and not go through British Parliament for major decisions, or at least for every major decision. And the New Zealand finally became a commonwealth with a constitution in 1986. And uh, between these two years, trade was really tied with Britain. Um, the biggest export that our biggest industry in New Zealand was uh, sheep's wool, and there was exclusive contracts. So the wool would just go to Britain, regardless of international price. And uh, what you see between this is gradually New Zealand starts trading more with Japan and the U.S. and the trade with Britain just dwindles and dwindles. And um, I bring this up because to me this sort of is the lead up to the, new, the independent New Zealand film industry. What you see is like this – industry that's completely tied to Britain. It's in newsreels. It's a British productions happening there. And then as things start to separate between the two countries, um, you start seeing a crop up of independent films. Um, there's hardly any, the first real feature length. Okay. This, I mean, I don't want anyone to correct me, but like the first, uh, feature length, um, made film in 15 years in New Zealand was Sleeping Dogs, which came out in 1977. It'd also be the first New Zealand film that's shown in the U.S. Um, and uh, in 1978, the New Zealand Film Commission was set up by the government. And this commission uh, was set up for several reasons. One was, to, uh, one was for financial assistance in the development production and distribution and promotion of New Zealand films. Another was to um, to also set up a uh, set up contracts in respect of sales in New Zealand film. It also uh, sought to preserve uh, previous New Zealand film in the New Zealand archive, which is based in Wellington. Um, and this commission is common as in in. In most countries, because outside of the U.S., France, India, Japan, China, maybe a few other markets, films traditionally need to be made with government assistance because their their market share isn't big enough. Uh, this is why so many European films have to do with history or culture, opposed to a traditional film narrative. Like, um, you think of how many, think of Germany and how many uh, historical films come out of that country, especially ones trying to deal with their. I guess dilemma of being descendants of like the Nazis and stuff like that. And part of that is because they get a lot of money from their government. And so there's sort of a, it's harder for them to make a, I don't know, a German, like when Harry met Sally or something like that. Um, and so what we see is like from 1978, we get a steady stream of films into 1986 and then almost an explosion with New Zealand becoming a commonwealth. So it grows exponentially in the late eighties, nineties and two thousands. And um, my theory is just that it's 
its freedom as in self-government reflect is reflected in its film industry, even though, you know, not necessarily before um, 1986. I mean, you could make films if you wanted to, but the sort of uh, independent mind in New Zealand, um, I guess, to me, runs parallel with its film industry. And um, um, for one thing, I didn't write down, but I'm sure we will we will talk about maybe a little in this episode, but definitely in the future is like. Uh, from the Lord of the Rings trilogy onward, there right now we're in the golden period of New Zealand film with sometimes as many as ten films made a year. That doesn't sound like much, but for such a small country, that's actually a lot. And uh, and if not New Zealand films, there's a ton of uh, location shoots and stuff happening in New Zealand every year from uh, Hollywood or European productions. So um, yeah, that's a brief history of the New Zealand film industry. I don't. I thought it was interesting doing all this stuff. I don't know if it's probably boring. <laughs> no, I didn't hear you say anything. It, so, it is, um, it, no, I think it, I think it is interesting, and it's not and it's not a long history. You've you know you covered all the sort of milestones from you know from 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 like Gaston, Gaston Millier, his early movies, and then. Um, I don't know if you did you come across the anything about the the national film unit that was established in the in the forties in New Zealand. I I didn't. Uh, it's um it was a it was a government funded unit, but they did mostly they produced mostly documentaries, and okay. um, I think. Because of the work that they were doing, there were some independent production companies that kind of developed from from the work that they were doing. But pretty much from the from that sort of World War Two era up until the late seventies, as you mentioned, um, I think there were like there were like three local movies made in that time. So it was really not not a lot happening and it wasn't until the late 70s with sleeping dogs that yeah the industry started to experience a resurgence i think probably a movie that a lot of um foreign audiences would would be familiar with from new zealand would be once were warriors which came out in 1994 and that could well have been the first sort of world, like worldwide success in terms of a New Zealand movie. It set a lot of local box office records, but I think that movie kind of brought New Zealand into, you know, into the consciousness of a lot of international filmgoers. Yeah, definitely. I think also uh, Peter Jackson's um, brain damage. Um, I remember growing up and all the blockbuster videos uh, in the U.S. is released as Dead Alive. Yes. And it's this creepy cover uh, in the U.S. of like a woman and she's like opening her lips. And there's like a smaller skull coming out. Yes. And that had a huge – like it was at every blockbuster video in the, uh, in the early 90s. It had a very – like it's one I don't think people – on the street would necessarily know if I asked in the U.S., but it's definitely on a, a similar level as like of recognition as maybe like maybe even say like Day of the Dead or all those other '80s horror movies that were kind of like have a cult audience. Maybe early '90s Army of Darkness or Evil Dead, you know, the '80s Evil Dead Two. Kind of like not only is it similar in the vein, but that had a, a good popularity here and was released uh, nationwide in the U.S., which doesn't sound like much, but a lot of New Zealand films, even Sleeping Dogs, isn't 
released in the U.S. Like, uh, I looked on Amazon and Sleeping Dogs is like, they had like one DVD printing from a long time ago and it's like selling for $70 new. So it's like, okay, like it's not the fact that brain damage slash dead alive is so widely available. I think that was another early, um, international hit, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that often it's those low budget horror movies, sometimes a comedy that seems to, that, that seems to like those type of genres, it seems to be movie. Yeah, it seems you you can make a low budget movie in those genres, and it can gain, you know, it can gain a bit of a following. Whereas if it was say if it was a drama or a, a musical or something, uh, you don't often see that. But I guess it's the nature of those movies that you can make them for for almost no money, and they can still be popular. Yeah, definitely. I um. Yeah, another movie that people probably recognize, which I haven't seen, is called Black Sheep. There's a uh, God, what's the production company called? There's a company in the U.S. that makes like shitty horror movies and like knockoffs of um, mainstream movies. Yeah, trauma. Uh, no, no, trauma. <laughs> Everyone knows trauma. <laughs> trauma. No, like you know, Snakes on a Plane came out, so they said they did. Snakes on a Train, oh. Transformers came out, so they did Transmorphers. What's it called? I've probably heard. I've probably heard the name. I can't re- remember. I'm kind of blowing it on this podcast, but anyway, <laughs> it looks like one of those movies. But it's actually a New Zealand movie called, uh, yeah, Black Sheep, and it's about a zombie like carnivorous sheep. That's a New Zealand movie. Yes, <laughs> it is, and it's kind of and seen it's... it free like Walmart <laughs> when I was living in Kansas. Like that's that's reached the mainstream of the straight of the cheap dvd bins of the u.s so that's another one and it's it's and it's and it's it's a great idea for a movie because there are there are a lot of sheep in new zealand it's you know it's um you know like the the lamb industry is one of the country's you know main exports or it's a big part of the economy so it's it's great that they would make a movie about sheep attacking people yeah, definitely, because there's more sheep than people than, yes. than humans. Yeah, a lot, a lot more sheep than people. Yeah. So it's like in a in a way, it's like more scary than a zombie movie because, <laughs> you know, if there were zombies in New Zealand, you could just go to like, you know, the like, it's easy to go in the middle of nowhere in New Zealand. So it's it's easy to escape that outbreak. New New Zealand probably be one of the easiest countries to survive a zombie outbreak. Yes. <laughs> but sheep, they're everywhere. There's so many of them. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I've been in uh, cars several times in New Zealand when I was on back on the bus or what, on a bus like Auckland to Hamilton. This happened, or when I was in a bus in the middle of like it was like Central Otago, and it's like, oh, we got to pull to the side because there's literally thousands of sheep coming down the road. We just have to wait like thirty minutes for them to pass. Like that's so imagine if they were zombies, they'd be <laughs> <laughs> scratched at our bus. Yeah, yeah. So New Zealand would either be uh, a country that will that will easily survive an outbreak, or it would or it would be one of the first countries whose population will get decimated if that ever happened. <laughs> we're talking about sheep outbreak. Sheep outbreak, yeah. But I mean, I've, you've got if you if you have so many sheep that start attacking people, then um, I don't think. Uh, you know, people aren't going to survive for for that long because because <laughs> because the sheep are pretty much everywhere, like you said. 
It's true, and there's not many skyscrapers like in Auckland, so you can't really get up high. No. Like they storm your little like your little batch, and they're gonna get you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every every everybody would try to get to Auckland so they can hide in the hide in the big buildings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like a reverse <laughs> zombie movie where you escape the world. Yeah. <laughs> to hide in the urban. Yes. So yeah. So um. Maybe we can. Uh, I don't know. We can. We can. Maybe we can run through some of the sort of the main filmmakers that that came to prominence. So um, we had the late seventies. So you had Sleeping Dogs. Um, then you had uh, Goodbye Pork Pie in nineteen eighty, which was made by Jeff Murphy. That that was probably the first local movie that became a box office sensation in New Zealand. I had a look at some box office numbers recently and if you if you adjust if you adjust the numbers for inflation i think goodbye pork pie um sold something like yeah it sold something like 600,000 tickets which you know considering that new zealand only has a population well today the population is about four and a half million in 1980 it was probably it would have been under four million so um, a lot of people saw that movie. Obviously, a lot of people saw it more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, so Jeff Murphy kind of uh, as a became like a, a, I guess one of the first New Zealand filmmakers that became sort of known not not just here but eventually in, in America as well. He made a movie called uh, Utu in 1983, which is the, the Maori word for revenge. Uh, it's a yeah, it's a movie about I think a, a, a Maori warrior and um, a, and like a British soldier who kind of their lives become sort of interconnected through a series of events. Um, you've got Vincent Ward, whose movie Vigil from 1984 I think was the first movie to win official selection at the Cannes Film Festival. And then he made the he made a movie called the The Navigator in 1988. You had uh, Jane Campion, female director, who made the The Piano, which won a few Oscars. But her first movie was An Angel at My Table. And then we talk. We've mentioned Once Were Warriors, and that was made by Lee Tamahori, who would eventually go on to direct the. Classic James Bond movie, Die Another Day. (laughs) (laughs) With the the best opening song. The best opening song by Madonna. Um, The movie starts with James Bond uh, on a surfboard invading North Korea. It's just just awesome. Awesome quality movie. (laughs) Anyway, Mm -hmm. um, and then some, I guess, some more recent examples. You had the movie Whale Rider. Uh, which was directed by Nikki Nikki Caro, and she also went on to make North Country with Charlie Theron and the the Vintners Luck in two thousand and nine. So there's a few filmmakers there that 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 rose to kind of you know international prominence or got some international acclaim, and you had some some actors that that some sort of actors that that a few that some people would know you know that foreign audiences would know so sam neill is probably one of the first examples of somebody who he's obviously done a lot of american movies uh he was in sleeping dogs and then yeah he kind of 
is done a lot of other movies. Yeah, he's yeah. grand in Jurassic Park. Yeah, Jurassic Park. Uh, he's um, in, in the Mouth of Madness, that John Carpenter movie. Do you know he currently lives in Queenstown? Yes, and he he owns he owns a uh, he owns a a winery or a vineyard as well. How 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 are his wines? Uh, Not to go off topic, but yeah, no, no, his, his, his wines are good. I mean, he, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have. It's not a large. Uh, he doesn't own a large vineyard, so it's small production. But his his wine is called Two Paddocks, and mm-hmm. um, so no, his wines are good. Um, yeah, I, I, so I'm not. I mean, I'm not surprised that he lives in Queenstown. He probably spends a lot of his time overseas as well. But um, so you've got Sam Neill, you've got um, Anna Anna Paquin who won the actually Anna Paquin's from Canada. So she was born in Canada. Yeah. Well, she must have moved here at a young age, though. I sh- oh, I thought I didn't even know she lived there. Yeah, I mean she. I mean she probably lives in the states now, but she must have spent a lot of her. Up or a lot of her growing up um, in New, in New Zealand. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, she's from Winnipeg. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. She, uh, yeah, that's right. I guess her family moved there. Yeah, I didn't know that though. Yeah, she doesn't really. I guess. Yeah, she doesn't really have an accent, so maybe. Um, no, but she was she was very young when she won the Oscar for for the piano because she was born in 1982. The piano was released in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So 1993. So she was like yeah, like 11 11 years old when she won the Oscar, and I would think that she probably moved to the states. Shortly after that, or maybe as a teenager, when she started doing more American movies, and now yeah, my first time seeing her was the movie Fly Away Home. Oh yes, yeah, mm. and <laughs> yeah. yeah, and 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 these days people probably know her from the TV show True Blood. Yeah, or X Men. She's Rogue. She's Rogue on X Men. You're right. I forgot about that. Um. Yeah. But then, yeah, there's, so there are other actors like uh, Carl Urban, who 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 was in the recent Judge Dredd movie. He plays. He's also on Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah, you're right. He's um he's Bones on Star Trek. Um, he was the he was the bad guy or one of the bad guys in one of the Bourne movies. I think the second Bourne movie. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, he's uh, like a Russian hitman or something in the second Bourne movie. I think. Uh, Lucy Lawless, Xena, Warrior Princess, <laughs> and no, that's enough said, and yeah. recently of uh, Spartacus as well. And so yeah, so so New Zealand. So it's not just you know filmmakers that have come to prominence, but we've had some 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 sort of actors that have made a name for themselves. And there are two actors who kind of, I guess, that became famous because of Once Were Warriors, and that's uh, Cliff Curtis who. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's had quite a few sort of supporting roles in a lot of kind of big Hollywood movies. But the other, like the main actor from Once Were Warriors was Timuera Morrison, who a lot of people might know from, was it the first 
not the first Star Wars movie, but the first of the new Star Wars movies. Oh no 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 yeah, uh, Tamora Morrison. He's 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 Jango Fett. Jango Fett. That's right. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> in the Clone Wars. Um, <laughs> yeah. <it's> just. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to get into that actually, but yeah, he's the Clone Wars. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> yes, yeah. So yeah, so there's been, um, you know, so there's so there's obviously, like you said, there was sort of an uh, an exponential uh, kind of rise in, in the number of movies coming out of New Zealand and for, uh, movies that that were being filmed here, and we, yeah, and we and we, you know, we obviously have Peter Jackson to kind of thank for a, a lot of that kind of stuff happening. Um, you know his his uh, the the Waiter Digital Studios are based in Wellington. They've done a lot of amazing special effects for a lot of big movies, and probably the biggest movie they worked on to date was Avatar in two thousand and nine. Yeah, they um, because of Peter Jackson. I mean, he can not only were the Lord of the Rings some of the most profitable movies of all time, but it was shot. Uh, you know, in New Zealand, a lot of the actors are either uh, from New Zealand or they're from Australia. I mean, not all the actors. And then a lot of the the crew too were New Zealand, like uh, Jeff Murphy, right? He was the uh, the second unit director. Okay. And um, on top of that, making these movies, you know, like the first one, came, soon after the first one um, was done, they're like, all right, let's do the sequels in a row. And uh, to do that, they need to build a huge infrastructure. And so, um, you know, it makes it's probably one of the reasons there's also a rise in film of American films being filmed in New Zealand because they can go there, they can, um, you know, film and have everything edited and special effects done in New Zealand while they're filming. It isn't just like going to a really faraway country and then having to come all the way back home to do post-production they can do it while they're there and so a lot of movies like even the you know the most recent evil dead movie was filmed there and it's just peter jackson weta also the infrastructure he helped create with you know gaffers cameramen all this all this side crew make it so that there's a crew ready to help you film your movie if you're coming from hollywood you don't need to necessarily fly everyone in or ship everything back to the u.s to finish it and so that's you're seeing an exponential rise after Lord of the Rings of, of films just being shot in New Zealand. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I had a quick look at some of the movies and this, um, you had the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, the, 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 the last samurai was filmed in, uh, in the sort of the Mount Taranaki area, uh, 10,000 BC, 30, uh, there's a vampire movie called 30, 30 days of night, which, I think it's supposed to take place in in Alaska, but they kind of used. I think they used Wanaka, the Wanaka and Queenstown area as the location for that. Um, there's a, a a very bad comedy called Without a Paddle, which is sort of a deliverance, a spoof of Deliverance, which they filmed in New Zealand. So, um, so a lot of big, a lot of sort of big budget movies and a lot of American movies of sort of um, varying quality has been filmed here. Yeah, and uh, I mean, one of the reasons The Hobbit was delayed so long was Hollywood was like, all right, well, 
we're going to do The Hobbit, but uh, first it was like a thing of rights because the books were separate, right? So The Lord of the Rings were like sold as a trilogy and The Hobbit was, I guess, the rights to the film were separate. But one of the main reasons it took so long to be made was the Hollywood was like, all right, well, we're going to film in the U.S. And there's just such a resistance from fans, like from Peter Jackson, he wouldn't do it outside New Zealand. Mm. The resistance of fans, I don't want to see The Hobbit if Peter Jackson's not doing it. So um, that sort of mentality is not helping this. I guess I guess the I, I couldn't really call it a renaissance because the New Zealand film industry had always been really small. So more like this golden age of uh, New Zealand film is really Peter Jackson and his clout are really are really causing it. You know, I'm not saying that without him there, there wouldn't be New Zealand films coming out because there would be. There's a lot of talent. Also, there's the you know the New Zealand Film Commission and stuff helping out if they need help. So, there is that. But him making a Hollywood quality um, production company in New Zealand and how you know what is one of the best special effects companies in the world having that base in New Zealand is really instead of forcing Kiwis and all the people to go abroad, it's bringing Hollywood to New Zealand. And so you know he's probably like the most. Uh, I don't know. So he's probably one of the most influential Kiwis of the last of the last decade. Like he's really, you know, the, those movies bring in a lot of money to New Zealand, which is still really based on an agricultural economy. So everything that goes into making a movie in New Zealand, I'm sure, like not only gives New Zealand a lot of clout, but a lot of economic gain as well. So. Yeah, no, we definitely have a lot to thank him for. And I know that um, uh, sort of at, at the time, I'm I'm a little vague on the details, but and and that time period when they were looking at making the Hobbit or starting to film the Hobbit, uh, New Zealand's Prime Minister John Key actually had had some meetings with people at Warner Brothers because he wanted to ensure that they come here to film the movie. So there was I think there was there were some generous uh, tax breaks offered to you know to Warner Brothers um, to ensure that that. That that production took place in New Zealand, and it'll be interesting going forward to see whether New Zealand remains an attractive destination to film movies. Obviously, we've we have we have we have we have great scenery, but whether the whether the financial incentives are, are always going to be there for movie companies to come here, uh, I think that kind of remains to be seen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that, I mean. Jack Keyes, he's a, he's a prime minister. It's like, imagine, like, you know, Barack Obama going to, <laughs> like, <laughs> wooing someone to come here. Like, you have the head of state going to a company saying, oh, please have your movie here. Like, that's pretty, that's how important Zool the Ring movies and The Hobbit are to yeah. New Zealand. Well, I mean, I mean, Barack Obama might have to do that because your your government is shut down at the moment. So... It's true. We got paid <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, John. Some people might know this, but John Key was actually on uh, was actually on the David uh, Letterman show one evening. I did not know doing that. doing doing a he did the top ten countdown at the end of one of Letterman's shows. Okay, and it was. Uh, I can't remember the exact um, name of the top ten, but it was something something to do with New Zealand. So I was, was just. He or was he stiff and rigid? Um, no, he wasn't. Uh, he, he he wasn't too bad. Like he seemed pretty. I mean, 
he's a fairly he's a fairly relaxed guy overall, John Key. So yeah, no, I think it was fine. I don't want to piss off people, but John Keyes, he kind of looks and has similar policies to George Bush, in my opinion. I feel like they have a similar face when they're smiling. <laughs> they both have that relaxed personality. Yep. Like, oh, I'm just hanging out. Oh, I'm, I'm at work right now? Like, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I'm not going to get into politics, but they, I mean, John Key is, um, you know, he's, he's, he's from the national, the national Party, which I think is probably like kind of similar to what the Republican Party is in the States. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's not it's not a they're not exactly the same, but kind of have similar policies. Anyway, so I think it said John Keys. It said John Key for some reason. So yeah, John, edit John, that. Yeah, John no. Key. <laughs> key as in singular, not Key. I know, yeah. I know. I just misspoke. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gonna get a lot so, of angry fan mail. I don't know. Yeah, New <laughs> Zealand people are very patriotic and stuff like that. So I. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. A lot of hate mail coming in. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, so yeah, we've there's obviously some other names that we can go through and some other directors, but um, I mean, this is not we're not trying to make a lot of like a list here of every movie that's come out of New Zealand. So, yeah, we've covered a bit of the history. So, um, I guess this kind of we can kind of start going into a into the into and into the I guess the topic or the movies that we're going to be looking at. Yeah. Okay. We're um, what because it's like I not only ever heard it's a badass movie, but because it kind of starts the modern New Zealand film industry, we're going to do Sleeping Dogs. Um, it's by Roger Donaldson, New Zealand director, obviously uh, one of Sam Neill's first starring roles. So we're going to take a look at Sleeping Dogs and Smash Palace. Um, and we wanted to tie this into the U.S. somehow, so we were like, okay, well. You know, Sleepy Dogs is 77, Smash Palace is 81. What's, what feels, you know, we like, to, we want to try and watch movies that we haven't necessarily seen so we can go in fresh, but like what, what's a similar director? And um, in the U.S., we started talking about Walter Hill. He is a uh, American director who made such movies as um, Hard Times, The Warriors, um, 48 Hours, and um, his movies have a lot of, you know, he most recently did uh, Bullet to the Head, and uh, his movies have a very distinctive urban and masculinity and gritty style, and from how, and from what I've seen of Sleeping Dogs, um, is that uh, Roger Donaldson has that similar style, maybe they're going on around the same time, maybe you know, Walter Hill influenced Roger Donaldson. I don't know, but we felt that would be good to compare and contrast, I guess, these two directors and two of their films from around this era. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, I mean, besides the fact that, like you said, that the, the movies that we're going to be looking at are from similar, are from the same time period, but, you know, we. I I haven't seen any of the movies we're going to be watching. You, I think you may have seen one of Walter Hill's movies that we're going to be watching, but um, you know, it's not. It kind of remains to be seen how many similarities there actually are, or you know, if there's any kind of influence. But that's kind of the reason why we're why we're doing this, and uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see just how these, yeah, how how things play out over the next sort of few episodes. 
Yeah, it uh, it came out of uh, Rudy and I were having a discussion about cult films, and I thought it would be interesting for um, each of us to kind of review a cult film from, you know, our respective countries. So I was like, okay, well, cult film. I want you to watch Rudy's The Warriors, and Rudy's like, oh, well, what about Sleeping Dogs? And the New Zealand film industry is sort of like we just talked about, sort of brief in history, and so we felt like, okay, well. You know, Sleeping Dogs is definitely like. I remember when I went to the film archive, they had posters of it up. So it's sort of like, for such a young film industry, Sleeping Dogs would be one of its cult films, one of its like early, kind of like small production action films that kind of are similar to, you know, like, uh, like a, uh, God, I can't think, but like, like, you know, like a, yeah, more like a cult movie here, you know, it's sort of similar to like they live or like that type of quality. And so, oh, like maybe, um, speaking of John Carpenter, um, assault on prescient on prescient 13. Yes. I guess that would be like the best example. Yeah. But, um, so from that it was like, Oh, well, you know, warriors is made in 79 and sleeping dogs is 77. And we're like, yeah, you know, looking at these two directors, they seem very similar. And so we kind of merged, the idea of doing a cult film series with doing a, um, I guess a begin like a 1970s retrospective that had, um, and at the same time tie in the I guess the birth of modern New Zealand f- cinema. It's just so that's where this came from because it sounds kind of strange, like oh yeah, just Walter Hill, but it came from this discussion of like you know what is a cult movie in New Zealand? There's there's only a handful. There's like you know Peter Jackson's horror movies, uh, Goodbye Pork Pie. Sleeping Dogs, so you know, like I guess that, that's kind of how we uh, we came to this decision. And um, yeah, what are you gonna say, Rudy? Yeah, um, no, some um, yeah. I mean, like I mean, Sleeping Dogs. We said it's pretty much the movie that that kickstarted the resurgence of of New Zealand film, and it is it, it's a cult movie. I don't think it was like a bona fide hit when it when it when it when it originally came out here. Uh, I think Smash Palace was. Financially, a lot more successful, which was Roger Donaldson's, which it was his follow-up to Sleeping Dogs. We, we mentioned Good Pie, Pork Pie, which is a movie that you and I saw together here. Very much, very much a cult movie, but it was, it was, a, it was like a box office sensation back in the day. So, yeah, I mean, the New Zealand film industry was pretty much kind of started by a handful of cult movies and. Obviously, with with the American film industry, it has a longer history. Um, you know, cult movies go back. Yeah, you can go back a lot further in time to look at, I guess, cult movies. But there are obviously cult movies from that same era, and that's that's just how we decided on on these two directors. Mm-hmm. Now, do we know the do we, do we know the order in which we're going to be watching these? Obviously, we're, yeah, obviously, we're starting with Sleeping Dogs, but then after that, I'm not sure if we know. Are we going to alternate between them or do them by director? Let's do it by director. So maybe Sleeping Dogs and Smash Palace. Yeah. And for Walter Hill, we're going to watch um, the 1975 movie Hard Times and uh, the 1979 movie The Warriors. Yes. The Warriors being one of my favorite movies. Um so I, I have seen that. Have, have you seen either uh, Roger Donaldson films? No, I haven't. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, and Hard Times, I, I picked um, mostly just because, like, 
not only do I hear it's good, but it stars uh, Charles Bronson and uh, James Colburn. And I haven't seen a Charles Bronson movie in a while. I, <laughs> I didn't tell you this, but that's like one of the reasons I suggested it. It's yeah. just like, uh, I just wanted to see a young Charles Bronson punch people. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of excited because because growing up, I, I kind of know, I knew Charles Bronson from the, from the Death Wish movies. And there were like a few other sort of B-grade action movies that he had done that I kind of remember as a teenager and, and stuff like that. But I haven't seen a lot of his movies that are from his, I guess that, that are from his, from his heyday. So I guess the sort of the late, well, the sixties up until sort of the mid seventies was probably his, was probably like the, the, the high point of his career. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and James Coburn is the same. Like I know James Coburn from a lot of, from a lot of his, like his older, not all, like a lot of his more recent roles, but I don't think I've seen a lot of his movies from the '60s or the '70s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, so I'm I'm sort of excited about that for probably the same reason as you are. Yeah, I'm really excited. So, uh, have you? Because um, both directors also have a similar trajectory. Is that they're making like kind of cheap b-grade action movies that are really gritty, and they kind of move up in Hollywood. So you have like Ronald Donaldson moving. To U.S., he made um, Species, Dante's Peak, Thirteen Days, uh, kind of recent Nicolas Cage movie Seeking Justice. But he kind of he followed that foreign director trajectory of coming to Hollywood and then kind of making big budget mainstream movies with varying success. Um, I guess you could call it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's had he's directed a few movies that that were sort of that became box office hits. But I think what it would be interesting to see once we get to our once we get to the Smash Palace episode, once we've discussed that movie, would be interesting to see whether there's any whether there are any themes or any patterns that we can uh, identify from 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 Rogers movies once once he went to the states. Because mm-hmm. I think what happens with a lot of foreign dire- foreign directors, once they start making movies in Hollywood, they lose a little bit of their identity. Whereas with 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 Walter Hill, I've I've seen you know I've seen some of his later films, but there's it seems to there seems to be a lot more. It seems to be a lot easier to identify the the sort of recurring themes that Walter Hill usually incorporates into his movies yeah yeah I um yeah Walter Hill has a definite view of like I guess masculinity and uh whatever like I haven't seen Bolted Head but I you know like yeah I mean you look at his movies and a lot of mostly action films mostly kind of like I've read that he's sort of like uh he views his movies as like westerns yes so you see a lot of that even in places like he's made some westerns, but you see kind of like this western cowboy mentality in all of his movies. Um, so it'd be see, it'd be interesting seeing um, Roger Donaldson because I've only seen um, you know Thirteen Days, Dante's Peak, and yeah, that's that's it. So I haven't even seen Species, which was huge in the mid '90s. So. Um, 
but yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I uh, I kind of didn't I hated Dante's Peak. I saw that in the theater. <laughs> I was I don't know. I saw that and Volcano, that little movie, the one with Tommy Lee Jones, all within a short period of time, and they were both really dumb. And Thirteen Days, I remember enjoying, but being kind of like restrained. It's almost like a play, if you will, um, with like JFK and his, his cabinet. Mm-hmm. Talked about the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, and uh, yeah, I'm interested because when I think of foreign directors losing their talent, I always think of uh, Wolfgang Peterson. You know, I've talked about this privately, but how like he makes you know Das Boot, mm. it's amazing, and then he kind of made true cliche Hollywood crap. I mean, it's not bad stuff, but kind of like uninspired stuff, like Air Force One. He did. Um, it's a Clint Eastwood movie, Under Fire, and, I believe. And, and The Line of Fire. And The Line of Fire. Yeah. The movie was like, I mean, that, that's a, it's a pretty good Hollywood movie, but it's also kind of dumb. Air Force One is fun, but it's kind of dumb. He did Troy, which I hated. Um, so, you know, I can't, yeah, that's one of the reasons I'm, I was interested in watching Sleep Dogs as well. Um, even before, you know, at some point was I kind of want to see young directors when they still have like, teeth or to have something to say so yeah and it's and, li- and like i said neither one of us has seen sleeping dogs or smash palace so you know we don't really know what what themes or what kind of um you know issues are, are, are we're going to find in, in those movies so yeah yeah it's uh i'm excited so yeah, our next uh, so yeah our next episode we'll be looking at Sleeping Dogs from 1977. Do you know do you know if it's uh, if it's available in in the states like on streaming or any other formats? It's not. Okay. Uh, like I said, there's one combination DVD that actually may be an import yeah. of Sleeping Dogs and Smash Palace exists here, but it's like seventy dollars. Wow. Which is a lot. Okay. Um, and it's not, I couldn't find anything through the library. It's not on Netflix streaming or, uh, uh, DVD services. So we'll, uh, we'll find some way to watch it. Yep. <laughs> mm. Uh, yeah. So I don't know what people need to, uh, yeah. If people want to join us, uh, geez, how do we get them to, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, we don't. We obviously don't want to advocate um, um, people obtaining illegal copies of the movie. But um, you know, I mean, if you're really interested in seeing it, I'm sure there is a way you can find it. Um, we don't. You know, there might be. You know, obviously, it's 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 fairly it's readily available here in New Zealand, probably even in Australia. Um, if there are any other countries, I'm, I'm not sure. It's probably it'll probably be a DVD. Um, it'll probably be a DVD format if it is available in any kind of format. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Like, I mean, here's the thing: is I don't want to advocate piracy, but you know, it's one of those things. It's like if it was readily available, I would buy it. Mm. But since it's not, so yeah. Um, Whose fault is that? Is it the distribution <laughs> yeah, or <yeah>. all? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And another problem too, I people might find is since it's kind of an obscure New Zealand movie. Like, could could you even like BitTorrent it? Like, if you search Sleeping Dogs, is that the movie that's going to show up? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, probably some other. There probably some other things that that'll show up as well. 
Let's see here. Actually, uh, it looks like it's available at, uh, yeah, looks like it's available at Facets, that place in Chicago. Oh, okay. Pick it up. Um, yeah, they're always hard to get movies from, though. But is yeah. that is that just because is, is that is that because there's a waiting list or what's the? No, they, they kind of like they started a Netflix type service uh, for people who don't know. Facets it's like a old fashioned style cinematheque in Chicago where you pay a membership and you can go to screenings. They also have night classes there and they have an extensive video store. Um, may laugh that there's a video store, but in this video store they have a lot of things that you can't. You can't buy or stream. There's a lot of films from other countries. There's a lot of exploitation films. There's, um, you know, they pretty much have like all the Criterion Collection, and they also make their own films. Um, of kind of dubious quality, mostly Eastern European, like Polish and Russian movies. Um, and so it's a really cool place, and they have obscure films. The problem though is everyone's trying to complete with Netflix, so they set up a mail your disc in format oh, yeah. and the problem with that is like you have a queue like a netflix but they never send you things in order so like i just got an email i'm getting like a, a movie that's something like number 44 on my list that's like did they really go through all 44 and they weren't there or yeah. like it's like no it's probably like the first one they can get their hands on so it's kind of difficult to be like oh i want Sleeping dogs, so it's not really reliable. Yeah, yeah, so. that, that makes sense because we we have a we have a similar um, service in New Zealand. There's a company called Fatso, which where they 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 mail DVDs out to people, and and of course there's no there's no return date. You can keep them as long as you want. So that makes sense that they would that they would just send you whatever is available at the time instead of instead of going by the the order of your queue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, oh well, that's that's right. I mean, if Sleeping Dogs is, is available through Facets, I'd imagine that it's. I'm not. Sh- I don't know how popular uh, popular a movie it would be, or how many people would actually be requesting it. Oh, I'm just saying it's because it's such a small little place. I don't think they properly go through your list. They kind of are probably overwhelmed, and they just send you the first thing that comes in their hands. But the good news is, if it's available at Facets, that means it's available in some way. So it's- next episode, people. At the beginning, I'll tell you how I got my copy. So maybe you can listen and then obtain your copy that way. Yeah. Because, um, uh, yeah. So I haven't checked Netflix and disc service because I've been using their their streaming. But, you know, maybe I'll re-sign up for that. Maybe they have it. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know how, how we obtained it next week cool yeah so i mean obviously if you if you can if you can see the movie that's preferable but i mean i think even even if you haven't seen sleeping dogs you might find the discussion interesting because it 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 you know we'll be talking about the movie uh and the in the context of i guess new zealand film in general and about roger donaldson so you know there, there there will be some spoilers. I don't know how intricate the plot is, but um, hopefully, hopefully we'll, hopefully you, you'll you'll tune in for our for our next episode. Yeah, well, we'll take it slow. You know, mm. we'll talk about like how we got the copies of the movies, and we'll, we'll try and set it up so it's like, you know, you can either tune in and tune out at a certain point. You know, when we start talking about the movie, we'll, we'll let you know, or um, 
you know, or maybe we'll keep it vague. We'll, we'll figure something out because, you know, I realize that this isn't a movie that's, well, either movie is really something that Sleeping Dogs or Smash Palace is really something that people outside of New Zealand and Australia can readily get their hands on. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll try our best to keep it interesting for people who may not even be able to get a copy. So tune in because it's more about New Zealand film industry and maybe this director than than maybe the movies themselves. We'll see how they are. I mean, it's his first two, like two movies. They may be like so vague or short or whatever that it's just like, you know, maybe it won't be much to talk about. We'll see. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, Tune in for our next episode when we'll be discussing Sleeping Dogs. And um, I think that's a wrap for this episode. I don't. There was nothing else we wanted to talk about. Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything on your mind? Uh, no, not really. I mean, this obviously we we could have we could have gone several hours with with you know just talking about New Zealand movies, but. Um, uh, there, there are probably some good books you can find, and obviously some of the some of the recent New Zealand movies are probably yeah readily available uh, wherever you are. So kind of mm-hmm. go and go and go and find them, or do some research on your own, whatever you like. Yeah, I know. Once were warriors, um, whale rider, and I think it's boy. Um, I don't know. Netflix is constantly changing what they're streaming, but I know all three of those movies were at some point recently on their streaming service. So go check them out. Uh, Goodbye Pork Pie, which we talked about, isn't available in the U.S., but um, I think it's available in VHS format if you want to get that. That's really nice. One of our favorite films, sort of like New Zealand Easy Rider. But um, yeah, we could talk for hours because like when I was in New Zealand, I made a conscious effort to try and watch as many New Zealand films as possible. So <laughs> we could probably do a whole episode just talking about which movies we've seen and what we thought about them and stuff. So yeah, I mean, we can do a we can do a whole episode just on Goodbye Pork Pie, but um, I'd I'd rather people people try and see that movie because it um, it's a pretty awesome movie. Look, I got matching Pork Pie T-shirts that I had made for Rui Night Aware. Let's just yeah, let's let's that? just put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a yellow shirt that says pork pie in like maroon red in the middle. Yep. So um, maybe maybe uh, maybe sometime we'll we'll t- I'll take a photo of the of of me and the t-shirt and I'll uh, put it on put it on our website or something or on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 yeah. People want it. <laughs> the fans demand it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as always, uh, this is Chris in Chicago. And I've been Rudy in Auckland, and we will see you next time. Later. Bye-bye.